following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. We are um, kicking off this series we started last week, and it's specifically about vision, 2020 vision. Uh, 2020, not because we're just entering a new year, but we're entering a new decade which makes vision right now in your life more important than ever. Uh, God blesses us with a certain number of decades. We all have a certain number of decades. We don't know how many, but God does. And so we have to look at our decades very intentionally. So 2020 is not only a medical term for good vision. Spiritually, we want to jump into this decade with some great uh, vision. And this series is going to help show you how you can align your vision up with God's vision for your life because that's where the journey gets very, very epic. And uh, last week, we're going we're gonna to look at today, we're going to look at dreams, uh, the dream that God put in your heart, or hopefully the dream God is putting in your heart if he hasn't already. Uh, but to set this up, last week we looked at, um, we looked at a man in the, in, in, in the Bible who really thought he had a dream. Uh, he had his own dream. Uh, he didn't check in with God, but he had this plan. And he said, here's what I'm going to do with my life. This is going to be success. And he started to put a sequence of things together and go, this is going to be awesome. And he had all this grain, and he said, I got so much grain, I'm actually going to make bigger barns. I'm going to actually make bigger barns to carry my grain. And it got to the point where uh, this guy was building these barns to do all these things, and guess what? His life was demanded of him. His life was over. And God was saying, essentially, in, the, in this passage, um, sir, <laughs> what you thought was success was not success at all. And what we learn in that passage is the way we view success has a lot to do with the lens that we look through. And the man in the story was looking through a lens, and his lens was me, myself, and I. Everybody say me, myself, and I. Okay, that's the unholy trinity. Me, myself, his lens was just just me, just myself, just I. And and that's not success. That's not the vision. God has to be like, it's just me, myself, and I. Instead of God, you made me. You gave me the birthday. You gave me the gifts. You gave me the skills. You gave me the breath. You gave me the opportunity. You even know my expiration date. God, you know all of it. And I'm going to return to you. So let me look through that lens. Let me look through that lens. So it's important that we look through uh, the right lens because our vision depends on that. But today I want to focus on dreams. Uh, I'm talking about dreams. I'm not talking about the dream you had last night if you had some pizza and you didn't know why you had the dream you had. You ever have one of those dreams? You're like, what's up with that dream? You're like, was it the TV show I watched or was it, the, was it bad pizza or something? Um, I'm not talking about those kind of dreams. I'm talking about the kind of dreams uh, where God does a deeper thing inside of you, something on the inside that you have a deep sense that God put it in you. You don't know how it got there other than God probably instilled it. Something that God has shown you, a deeper stirring, a deeper passion, not something that you just invented or some idea you came up with, but a deeper thing that God instilled in your life, a deep sense of purpose, destiny, something that's been instilled on the inside, and it's something that you didn't make up, but God put it there. And we're going to look at this today, um, and maybe God has given you a dream already. Maybe there was a time in your life where you clearly sensed God imparted something to you. It was more than just an idea that came into your mind. You kind of felt it hardwired to your spiritual DNA. And if you did, likely God put it there. There's ways to test 
God is this you, and we've done some messages on that, God is this you or not, and how to test whether these things are from God or just our own random ideas. But the point is, if God put it there, we want to follow through with these things. And, and so many people end up living their life instead of living their dream. And if you have the opportunity to just live your life or to live your dream, which one would you pick? You got to pick your dream, especially if God put the dream on the inside of you. And so we're going to look at that today because there is a big difference. But we all have ideas. Dreams are God-given. They're not random. They're divine. And if God puts something in you, and again, this might not literally look like a, a waking up in the morning from a, a literal dream that you had, but it's just this thing in your heart, in your mind that you're like, I don't know where it came from, but it's been with me and I have to trust God um, put it on the inside of me. Uh, and in the Bible, just so you know, this term of dreams, dreams, the word dream and dreams, the term, the concept, the principle of dream and dreams comes up over a hundred times in the Bible from Genesis through the book of Acts. We see dreams, dreams coming up again and again and again. So God has been using dreams to instill his view, his, uh, his heart condition into people like you and I for thousands of years. This is God who's been doing this. And the context so often in the Bible when God does give a dream is he imparts some sort of vision or principle or impression, uh, whether it's a vision or it's hearing. He, he kind of imparts something that it's so clear that it's from God that it ends up becoming a, something that changes the life of the recipient. Like when God imparts something, everyone in the Bible that God imparted uh, something to, they felt the weight of it saying, wow, God, that's from you. I'm not making this up. Now I have to be responsible with it. And so everyone in the Bible who received a dream received kind of some endowment from God, some sort of revelation where they were responsible uh, for the revelation that we received. Uh, it's usually important, it's profound, it's very purposeful, and it becomes a sep uh, a, a, an integral part of their life and calling. Um, some of these examples in the Bible are uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. In fact, he was called a dreamer uh, by his brothers. Uh, he had dreams often, and th the brothers called him a dream. God gave him a dream. He shared the dream with his, his brothers, and they didn't want to hear the dream. They didn't like what the dream sounded like, uh, so they sold him off into slavery. But God continued to speak through Joseph, the prophet in the Old Testament, through dreams, and he ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt, essentially. So through dreams, there's a story uh, woven into his life where God would show him things in dreams. He'd be able to understand dreams, and he's probably one of the best case examples we have in the Bible of dreams in uh, multi-layers and multi-dimensions and ongoing consistency of dreams. But that's an important one because it's a central part of his life. Um, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, dreams are a big part of his life too. He gets revelation from God through dreams, and we see that in his life. Another one we see, uh, we just celebrated Christmas, and we see with Joseph and Mary, um, the angel of the Lord uh, appeared to uh, to. Um, Joseph in a dream, and he, the, the word is, hey, listen, this child is from the Lord. This is what you need to do. Carry this out. So the dream changes his life. This revelation changes his life. He understands, God, I understand what you want to do. I am different now because you've revealed something to me, and it's given me life purpose and mission, and now I'm going to walk it out. So that's the reality of a God 
given dream. It's something that changes you. It's something profound that God's giving you the ability to step into, but you have to understand what the dream is because there's a life purpose, life purpose attached to the dream. And again, so many people live their life without life purpose. They just live day to day, uh, but they're not attached to life purpose. But if God has given you a dream, and I trust in this room, some of you, God has already put an impression on your heart that you were made for something so much bigger than just living day to day. Yes, we're responsible, and yes, we are light and salt, and yes, we help our neighbors, and we love people. And we, yes, all these things, but there is more distinction. Some of you have already been granted greater distinction. Has anybody in the room sensed any level of distinction and a calling in your life? Okay, so some of you already are coming to terms with it. I'm going to propose to you that some of you already had some sense of revelation, but oftentimes we doubt it. We doubt our own calling. We doubt that what God was that even you, maybe it wasn't. Uh, and this is common. Or, or, or we say, well, if that is God, the pathway is insurmountable. I can't climb that. There's no way that's going to happen. So we excuse things away. So sometimes we dismiss them. Sometimes we excuse them away. Sometimes it's easier to try to forget them and go on with life as usual. But I, I want to encourage you, if God put this impression on you, if God gave you a dream, he gave you a life purpose, for some of you, he's probably going to reveal this to you. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you, and I will make myself known to you. Ask, and you shall find. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. Um, God will reveal these things. And so I want to share a, a few key scriptures that have to do with this this, this realm of dreams and God's revelation and your life purpose tied to dreams. And the first one, we're going to put them on the screen or you can turn there in your Bible or your mobile device. But Acts 2.17, excuse me, Acts 2.17, it says this, and this is a critical verse, which is the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost, which is really uh, a time of the church age. Everyone say church age. You had Old Testament, you had the Messiah come, and then the people of God are in a new covenant. This is the church age. This is what theologians would call the time of Christ coming, imparting his spirit, and people following Jesus ever since, which is us, 2,000 years later. We are in the church age. And this scripture is for the church age. So this scripture is for you and I as much as it was for them. Acts 2.17 says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Uh, what they saw on the day of Pentecost was remarkable. People are like, what is this? I don't know what to do with what's going on right here. And Peter gets up and says, let me tell you what you're seeing. What you're seeing is the beginning of the church age. You're seeing this time when the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy will come to pass. Revelation from God in the form of prophecy, God speaking to people, will not be uncommon. It will not be uncommon. In fact, Jesus elaborates this, that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and comfort you and counsel you, which means God's showing and revealing his, his ways to his people. This is the church age. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. This sense of revelation, ongoing revelation from God. Now, how many of you guys know God's revelation that you'll get through any dream or any prophecy will never contradict this, right? Are we good with that? 
It will never contradict this. God will never contradict himself, and this becomes the litmus test, the basis for which you test everything in your life. Amen? This is critical. You test everything with this. And if it doesn't pass this test, the Bible test, then, then you, you, you got to discount it or put it aside. But the bottom, bottom line is anything that God will show, whether he speaks to you or you had a dream or whether God, you sense God spoke to you or showed you something and you're like, God, is that you? The number one rule is the, how does it line up with his word already because he won't contradict himself. But the point is this, this says that God will speak to people. There'll be revelation to people through prophecy and vision and dreams, and, it, and it, it's something that was promised to the church, and I believe should be expected. And I say that because if you have never heard or sensed God's direction in your life, there's amazing general revelation in here, and there is some very specific revelation in here. But when God speaks to you, that tends to be quite specific. And that's why the Spirit leads and guides, comforts, and counsels you and I to give us some specific uh, direction. And I want to bring that up because some of you have maybe already sensed a, a dream from the Lord that was specific to you. It was specific to your life. It wasn't general for your family or for the whole neighborhood or for the city or for, it was to you. It has to do with your calling and what God wants to encourage you to step into as part of your life purpose. Um, but these are the kind of things God says he will do. He will give dreams. So this principle of God giving revelation through a dream in fact, if you look at all the Old Testament prophets, um, many of them got their revelation from God through a dream. Many of them. Many of them, it was visual. It was an optical thing. It was like whether they were, um, in fact, it's, it's said that some people dream while they're asleep, but others dream while they're awake. Um, some of the prophets received a dream from the Lord, and it was God giving them a revelation to something that God wanted them to step into that was going to be a world changer for them and those around them. And it came in the form of an optical vision of some sort, whether their eyes were open or eyes were closed. God gave them a, a picture, if you will, uh, in detail. Others in the Old Testament, um, it says the voice of the Lord came to. So others tend to hear. Now that might sound very subjective to you, but again, if you, if you test this, and you spend personal time with Jesus uh, in your life, Jesus says this to his church. He says, my, my sheep know my voice. Amen? You guys know that? If you spend time with Jesus, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. He's writing to the church, okay? That's not Old Testament. So should we be familiar with God's direction and his leading and his guiding? We should go, I know his voice. I spend time with him. I'm in his word. I know, I know the written revelation, but I spend time with God. And yes, that's the Lord leading or guiding me in an area. This is really important. But God's been instilling dreams in the hearts of people for uh, thousands of years. And I have a golden question for you. Again, has God put a dream in your life? Now think about this, because some are forgotten. Some are dismissed. Some are prolonged. Some are... Maybe there was a dream, but there's been a lot of discouragement between the revelation of that dream and today. Some of us have, you know, I thought this and I didn't know this, and, and there's a discouragement. So we dismiss dreams or we excuse them. And this has to do with a vision and a life purpose that God has specifically for you. And it's so important because, again, we could just live our life or we can live this dream, this life purpose, this specific revelation. And it's a real game changer. And I believe you were made for that. 
And so it's important. If you're a note taker today, I want to encourage you to write a few things down on this that you can kind of discuss later on or kind of just ask the Lord a little more about and get some more insight. But the first one is, has God placed a dream in my heart? You may have had a dream in your heart when you were a child. You don't know where it came from. You just, it was always a hardwired resonating thing on the inside. You didn't ask for it. Um, No one whispered it in your ear, told you. But God possibly hardwired this into your spiritual DNA, so to speak, as part of your calling. And we're going to see in a minute some scripture that ties that together, where God actually did stitch some things into your spiritual DNA before you were even born. In fact, Psalm 139 says that God formed you in your mother's womb. Listen to this, God speaking. God formed you in your mother's womb, and all of your days were ordained. Everyone say ordained before one of them came to being. That's pretty crazy. From God's vantage point, you have ordained days. Ordained days aren't regular days. Ordained days are not days that have no meaning or purpose. Ordained means they're ordained in the mind and the heart of God for your life. They're ordained days that God has things for you to do that he stitched into your spiritual DNA as he was creating you in your mother's womb, Psalm 139, for you to walk in these ordained things that are hardwired into the fabric of who you are. And many people go through life ignoring God as their creator when God actually stitched some things together for their life. And then there's others who say, God, I believe, but I don't want to explore. I don't want to discover. I just, I believe. I want to live my own life and I believe. And God's like, listen, I, I ordained days for you before you even took your breath, your first breath. I ordained things for you. And this has to do with your creative purpose and why God put you here and some of the amazing things he wants you to explore. But for some of you in this room who have not maybe come to terms, if you didn't answer the question with, yes, I have a dream and I know what it is, I really challenge you to think about this. And this might not be everyone. Some some of you in the room, you're like, no, I'm open to a dream. I just... I haven't gotten revelation from God on a dream, and that's great. That, that's wonderful, too. Um, but some of you have, but I believe we do what people have been doing for a long time. We, we dismiss it. We discount it. There's been water under the bridge, so that doesn't apply anymore. We do a lot of these things uh, with dreams. Maybe you doubt. You doubt the dream. Uh, that God put in your life, and that's not uncommon either. In fact, Gideon did too. God showed up to Gideon and says, Gideon, we've got a plan for you. It's a life purpose is what we're going to do. We're gonna, you're going you're to lead an army? He's like, God, there's no way I'm leading an army. God's like, no, you are. <laughs> no, you got the wrong guy, God. You got the wrong guy. And God's like, no, actually, I don't. He's like, I'm the smallest dude from the smallest family, from the smallest tribe, from the smallest. I don't lead anybody. I don't lead an army. You do now. I'm calling you into it. And he's like, this doesn't, so he's doubting his calling from the very beginning. Like, I don't know what kind of dream or plan or vision or life purpose you're giving me, God, but I, I doubt you got the right person. So it's not uncommon to doubt the very things that God wants to call you into. Uh, it was very doubtful that a little boy named David could take out a giant, wasn't it? It's very doubtful. Uh, but God can do all these profound things. Another person like this is Moses. When God called Moses, now I thought, think about Moses. Moses was living in Pharaoh's house, was raised really well, was spared from death instead of being uh, sent down the Nile to be 
maybe eaten by alligators. He's rescued and he's raised in Pharaoh's house. And one day he sees his own people going through um, being, you know, beating, beaten and mistreated. So he actually sees this and he gets angry and he, and he swings at one of these um, Egyptian um, soldiers and kills him. So now he runs for his life. He's living out in the desert. He's, um, you know, he can't return. He feels, and he's out there for 40 years on the back of a mountain in the desert, and God appears to him and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh face to face, look him straight in the eye, and you say, Pharaoh, huh, let my people go. That's what God said. And Moses came up with every excuse in the book. You got the wrong guy. I stutter. I'm not good at this. They're not going to believe me. I don't have the resources. He came up with every reason in the world. So it's not, it's not uncommon to doubt the very things that God's calling you into. It's not uncommon at all. Uh, some of the greatest in the Bible doubted the very calling on their life. But you can't let the doubt stop you from stepping into it, but the doubt is very real. Does that make sense? The doubt is very real. Um, some flat out ignored the calling, and we're capable of this as well. Uh, Jonah was called, and ironically, Jonah... Uh, was the only prophet in the Old Testament who was called to tell a Gentile nation, a Gentile nation to turn and repent. See, most of the Jewish prophets, they spoke to Israel. They spoke to Israel saying, hey, listen, Israel, you're God's people, but you're not acting like God's people, and God's calling you back to relationship with him. All the prophets are doing that, but not this one. Uh, Jonah is told, we want you to go to those Gentile people way out there. He's like, Gentiles? That would be like the worst prophet of all. If, if I'm going to be a prophet, I've got to do something cool, God. Going to Gentiles, we don't go to Gentiles. And God's like, well, you do, because I care about those people too. And Jonah's like, you know, I'm just going to ignore that whole calling. I know it's a dream you have for me. It's a life purpose, but I don't like, I'm going to ignore it. So he actually gets on a ship and starts sailing the opposite way. So sometimes we, we, we doubt the calling, and sometimes we flat out ignore. Sometimes we run away from... Sometimes we run away from the calling or the dream that God's calling us into, the life purpose. There's many people who have run away from dreams. I know God calling me even into the faith. I was running the other way. Did anybody run the opposite way in the room? Yeah, it's like, so we all got a little of this Jonah in us. We all have a little of this Gideon and Moses in us. When it comes to God having something greater going, yeah, I don't know about that, and I'll check with you later, and we go the opposite way, um, I think we all have that in us. Um, but as you step right now into a new year and a new decade, many of us are focused now, right now, on goals and dreams and what did you make me for? How do I improve my life? How can I line up better with you? This is a strategic time. And the Apostle Paul talks about his goal too. He's like, I got a goal in life. I got a goal. And he tells us something in the context of his goal. And right now, some of you are writing down goals. Um, for some of you are going to work on vision uh, at the workshop this weekend. Uh, but, but some of you are working on your goals. You're trying to define what they are, what some better steps to get to your goal. And um, in Philippians 3.12, it's our next scripture we have for up here, um, Paul also had a goal. And he shared something in the context of speaking about his goal. He shared something very important that I want to highlight today. And he says this, Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained, obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I got a goal and I haven't arrived at it. I haven't arrived at it. I, I do have a goal and I'm not there. 
But let me tell you one thing I do for sure in the meantime. I know Jesus took hold of me. I know he took hold of me. So in the meantime, I know that goal's out there and I'm going to keep going after it. I know that. But in the meantime, here's one thing I'm going to do. No matter what, no matter what, I am going to take hold of, which means seize, which means grasp, means like if you were hanging from a cliff and you're grabbing with two hands, you grab it. You don't just like touch it. You grab hold. He goes, no matter what happens, as I'm going on this journey and as I'm aiming at that goal and I haven't obtained it yet and it's way out there and I'm going to keep going after it, I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. I'm not there yet. I'm going to keep going. But in the meantime... I know one thing for sure, Jesus took hold of me. And I know one thing for sure in response to Jesus taking hold of me, I am going to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. I am going to take hold of that. Would you say that with me? I am going to take hold of that. One more time. I am going to take hold of that. What is that? Because that's what you need to know. Jesus took hold of you. And Peter, Paul says, no matter what, I am taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And hopefully today there's something powerful in the that that he's referring to because there's a that in your life too. And, and, and this is where he's going. Uh, there's some things that he does know. In fact, if you're a note taker, write this one down. Uh, Jesus took hold of me for very important reasons. Very important reasons. Paul's telling us that right here. Again, the very important reasons are the that that he's referring to. Some of those reasons is because he simply loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. That's the first, like, obvious when he loves you, wants to be in relationship. He wants you to be light and salt. He wants you to be part of God's solution. He wants to share faith around the world. These are things for all believers, all followers of Christ that apply to all of us. But there's a deeper level of revelation and a deeper level of calling and a deeper level of purpose and and. Paul is saying, as I'm going after this goal and as I'm aiming and I'm going to keep on aiming till I have my last breath, I'm going to keep going relentlessly, but for sure I am going to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And I want to, I want to encourage you to pray about the that in your life because there is so much in what that that is. That that could be anything. That that could be, um, okay, I create movies and I do this stuff, but does God get the glory in anything? So how do I use the lens and how do I use editing to give God glory? That's monumental. Uh, maybe you look at kids as you pass by a local school and you go, wow, these kids are just so lost these days. There is no leadership in their life. There are, there's no spiritual leadership. These kids are being dismantled as we speak. And maybe you look at that and go, Lord, and he puts this impression on you saying, Psst, don't you see it? The Lord's saying, Psst, don't you see it? And anybody else you talk to, they don't, they don't seem to see it the way you do, but you do. And maybe that's the that. I don't know what the that is in your life, but these are distinct things that God's saying, listen, for you, here's the that. This is the bigger picture. Whether it comes in the form of a dream or some kind of revelation, it's the thing that God is calling you into because it's part of his solution in such a time as this. And that's what these things are about. Dreams are about uh, not just how do I get the house on some hill or some kind of thing like that. We don't want to look through the me, myself, and I lens like the guy did earlier in the story, right? We don't want to look through that lens. the broken lens, a bad lens. We'll never find success with that lens. We want to look through the lens of 
Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. You made me, God. You gave me the birth date, expiration date, the gifts, the talents, the resources. You have me born in such a time as this. What are you calling me into? What is the vision? What is the dream? What is the life purpose? What is distinction for me, God, so I can start aiming intentionally, intentionally at it? And so uh, this is really important. So second note is, uh, yes, God took hold of me for very important reasons. And the third one is God wants me to discover and take hold, take hold of my calling. That's what Paul's saying right here. I take hold. I take hold. Everyone say take hold. That means grab it. Means grab it. If you're on a cliff, someone throws you a rope, you're just not going to go, boop, hit it. Boop, hit it. You're going to grab it. You are going to grab it. You're going to seize it. You're going to grab that thing with two hands. And that's what he's saying. I'm not at my goal, and I got a whole life ahead of me, and I don't know what the future holds. But one thing I do, no matter what, I take hold, I grab, I seize. The very thing that God took hold of me for, I'm grabbing it with two hands and I'm not letting go of it because that's life calling and that's purpose and that's distinction. And that's really the dream, I think, that we're called to to step into. So this is not a passive thing. You can't take hold of things passively. You can only take hold of things uh, proactively, proactively. So, so think about what the that is in your life. And again, maybe some of you, when you come to the prayer night this Friday, when you come, God, I'm an open canvas. I'm an open book. I'm praying. I have a no idea what that dream is, but I'm open. I would trust if you come open-mindedly with an open heart before the Lord and you are willing to get God's revelation on what the that is in your life, don't be surprised that if you ask, you will receive. Don't be surprised that if you ask, you will receive, because he promises uh, we will. Here's another great scripture on this theme, um, and it's Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. These are some key scriptures I like to focus on, specifically this time of the year. We're aiming, we're trying to get our plan with God and kind of readjust our lives, specifically going into a new decade, really important. Ephesians 2.10 says this, and and it's speaking of the church, speaking of you specifically, you and I, um, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This word here, it's an interesting word in the Greek. We are God's masterpiece. Some of your translations say we are God's workmanship. Uh, Workmanship isn't bad. Workmanship makes you think of a project that got built over here. Um, you know, you can build a, you, you build a frame, a house, and go, that's workmanship. There's a lot of variations of workmanship, and, and it's true. The, the context is workmanship, but it's really more like masterpiece workmanship. Uh, how many of you know if God framed a house, he wouldn't do it like you and I do? He would do like some epic level, okay? God's workmanship is not like our <laughs> workmanship, okay? Um, God's workmanship doesn't need to get signed off by an inspector, city inspector on code or anything like that. The context of this, we are God's workmanship, is really more of the masterpiece level. The master is building something, and he's done something epic. And the Bible is saying we are God's workmanship. We are his poema, where we get the, uh, the Greek word, well, poema is Greek for poem. Poem, it's a creative work of art. It's cool. It's kind of a symphony. It's kind of a poem. It's this great thing that God built. The Bible is saying that we are God's masterpiece. And listen to this. You are God's masterpiece created 
You are a created masterpiece, but you are created in Christ Jesus. And it says why. To do good works. Everyone say good works. You're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus as a masterpiece to do good works, which, by the way, God had planned long ago. Here we go back to the scripture in Psalm 139 going way back then, way back before you took a breath, way back when you're in your mother's room being formed, there was already things ordained for you, already ordained. And here we are to the New Testament church saying, yes, this is true. This theme, this overarching theme is in the heart of God for you. In Christ Jesus, you're a created masterpiece. And in Christ Jesus, you were created to do good works, which, by the way, God planned way long ago. How many people go through life never discovering or never intentionally trying to discover the very good works that God planned for them uh, to do? I think far too many. So our fourth point this morning is this. Um, since you are a masterpiece, God says you are, I want to ask, are you dreaming like a masterpiece? Are you dreaming like a masterpiece? Do you have vision like a masterpiece? Or do you kind of ignore that masterpiece? I don't know. I don't feel like I'm God's workmanship. I don't feel like I'm any kind of masterpiece. I just go through my day doing my job and try to pay my bills and just try to get through it like the next guy or the next girl. Um, you know what? That's so base level. That's base level of living. That's not stepping into any kind of dream. That's base level life 101. God's called you into deeper and bigger and greater things. You are God's masterpiece. You're his poema. You were created to do these good works. Are you dreaming like that? God, what are these things? What are these good works you're calling me into, God? What is part of my, it's not just going through life, God. What do you, what do you want me to step into with you? What kind of adventure do you have, God? What are the things you formed me in my mother's womb with ordained things, God? I want to discover that stuff. I want to get revelation on that stuff, and I want to start walking that stuff out um, in faith. But the fifth one is this, guys. A lot of these dreams, by the way, are bigger than you, and it would take God to pull it off. A lot of these dreams, like, you know, I want to go into schools and help these kids, but how can I get in schools because I'm not allowed to go into schools, so what's going to take? Well, it's going to take God. It's going to take God to get you into schools to influence kids because if you're not a teacher already in the classroom, you're not going to be allowed in. And you go, okay, God, it's going to take you. Or I really sense this needs to change in society. I feel like God has compelled me to take a step in this area, but I don't know how I'm going to get into that because I don't have the resource. I don't know what it's going to, it's going to take God. It's going to take God to do it. And many dreams are like that. So the fifth point this morning is this. Dreams often come from a place of divine inspiration or divine discontent. This is important. They come from divine inspiration or divine discontent. When you look at the dreams the prophets in the Old Testament received, when you look at the dreams, some of them were divine inspiration, saying, people of Israel, God is saying this. God is saying these days are no more. There's a promised land over here. There's a land flowing with milk and honey. God's saying now is the time. That's inspiring, isn't it? Especially when you're in bondage. You're like, I want that. I like that inspiration. Yes, they're calling us to inspiration. Some dreams come, that's from, dreams come from a place of God giving revelation for inspiration. However, some dreams come from a place of divine discontent where God is like, I don't know if you people are seeing what I'm seeing, but I want you to see what I'm seeing because this is wrong. This is either injustice, it's wrong, 
It's dismantling. I made you for greater things. Society, I want to change their view. Because how many of you know you can't change your ways until you change your view? You know that? You've got to change your view. We all got to change our view. And the word repent is central to everything God's calling his people to. We can't change our way until we change our view. And God's like, are you not seeing where this is going? And so sometimes the dream has to do with either divine inspiration or divine discontent where something is wrong. And God is saying, that's wrong. And sometimes he tries to put that burden, that vision, that heart, that revelation on people like you and I to go, oh, I, 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 I think I see what you're saying, God. That is wrong. Doesn't everybody see that? God's like, I'm showing you, yes, it's wrong. Would you help Share that narrative? Would you share that dream? And this could be another way where you step into purpose in a sense that you go, all right, Lord, I'm going to be an ambassador for you. The Bible says we're ambassadors. I'm going to step into the things that you're calling me to do, which is something that you want to see changed, and I will step into this, but it's going to take you. I can't pull this off on my own. It's so much bigger than me. Dreams are bigger than yourself. Dreams are bigger than yourself. It will take God to pull them off. Um, but with God, nothing is impossible, and that's the good news. Um, when you look at Nehemiah, when you look at Nehemiah's calling on his life, Nehemiah's calling was a little of both of these. He had some divine discontent, and he also had some divine inspiration in his dream. He had this view of God giving him revelation to Israel. We're over here in, in Babylon, but over here in, in Israel... There's no walls on the city. The people are being harassed. Uh, everything about the city is in absolute ruins. There's no gates. There's bandits. People are stealing and abusing people. How can I be over here when that's in disarray over there, the Holy Land? And, and so God gave him this, both, this kind of sense of divine discontent. That's wrong, and it shouldn't be like that. And, it, and he, he, got, he goes, God, I get the picture, and I feel the weight. But there was also a, a divine uh, inspiration going what would it be like if it was walled and the people were safe to worship God in the freedom that they had? There could be a restoration of the heart condition in Israel if there was just order instead of chaos and disarray in Jerusalem. So there was inspiration and there was discontent. And he, with that weight of that revelation from God, goes to the king and says, um, you know, there's some things about back home in Jerusalem that are weighing me, and it should change, and it should be different. The king hears his heart. God moves on the king's heart. Because remember, it, would take, it takes God to do these things. They're bigger than ourselves. And the king says, you know, I, I sense the burden. I sense there's something behind what you're saying. I'm going to release you from your job. You're going to go, and not only are you going to get to go, I'm going to write a check for you. Here, I'm going to bankroll your mission. How's that? See, it takes God, but if it's a God thing, God will get behind it, and that's the beauty of it. So Nehemiah had a little bit of both. It kind of is like, God, what could it be? God, what should it be? And this might be the that for you. When you're trying to understand what is the that thing, what do I take hold of that for which Christ, what is the dream, what is the vision, what is a life purpose? And you might not get it just today here in this service, but I want to encourage you, it may be behind this. If you were to pray before the Lord, not through the lens of me, myself, and I, but thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory. If that's your lens and you're willing to ask God, Lord, what is the that? If you were willing to ask the Lord, what is the thing, Lord, that it could be or that it should be? God, what is the thing that it shouldn't be? Um, 
uh, or the thing that's breaking your heart, God, or what is the thing that it could be or should be? What is that for me? And God might show you and give you a lane. He might give you an insight to a pathway that has to do with you and your gifting and your experience and to say, you can be my solution right in this lane right here if you'll observe it, if you'll take it to heart, and if you'll walk it out and trust me. And this is where it gets beautiful. This is where God starts to move through the family of believers in all these amazing ways if we discover what is the, what is the thing, God. It's not to change the whole world. It's to change somebody's world or a group's world. What is it, Lord? And if you pray that, I trust God will give that to you. Um, how many of you are familiar, well, we're calling this message today, I have a dream, um, and I hope you all have a dream. How many of you are familiar with the famous speech by Martin Luther King? I have a dream. He had a dream, all right, but guess what? It's a, by the way, the, the Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech was rated by many as, as one of the greatest, the single greatest speeches of the 20th century. It's definitely on the top. If you do a list and compile a list of the greatest speeches, his is, is way, way up there. Now, the co-author of the speech wasn't specifically written by Martin Luther. The co-author was a lawyer who worked with Martin Luther King, and his name was Mr. Jones. He actually scripted this, um, this, this um, supposed to only be five minutes, and it was scripted for Martin Luther King. And as he got up there in Washington, D.C. in 1963 in front of 250,000 people, it was supposed to be this five-minute speech. And if you listen to it, it says things like, you know, America wrote a check, but the check was bankrupt, but we're going to go back and we're going to cash the check. And this is what the speech was. It was supposed to, and people are like, yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, that's, you know, and they're, they're following along. But Martin Luther King had something so much deeper in him than what was written on the page. And so Martin Luther King, as he was delivering, doing a wonderful job, something profound happened. And I think it's important to look at how profound the very thing that happened that made that speech what it is that we talk about it today. You see, Martin Luther King, when he would speak at these events or rallies in the early civil rights movement, he would have the famous gospel singer Mahalia Jackson open for him. Does anybody know who Mahalia Jackson is? Okay, if you, you got to pull up some of her stuff. Mahalia Jackson mentored, mentored Aretha Franklin. So you know Aretha Franklin? You should look to her mentor, which was Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson was amazing. Sung lower, beautiful voice, um, great stuff. But she would open, kind of in a worship, if you will, she would open the meeting before Martin Luther King would speak. And so because of that, she knew Martin Luther King personally. She knew his heart. She knew his heart. Not just his ideas, his heart. And so since she knew his heart, she was there in Washington in 1963, and she opened up this thing on the mall, civil rights movement, in song. And she steps aside. And Martin Luther King gets up there with his five-minute written speech and is telling people about the check that was written that got canceled, that we need to cash the check. And, and he's, he's doing it, but he's, it's not coming out the way. And, and the story goes like this. Um, and this is from the words of the lawyer, Dr. Jones, who actually wrote the script and watched Martin Luther King and watched him deliver it and then stopped delivering it, and everything began to change. This is from his own words. He says that Mahalia Jackson, um, that Mahalia Jackson, right in the middle of him delivering this, is off to the side looking and kind of shaking himself, shaking her head, and says, 
Martin, Martin, tell him about the dream. Martin, tell him about the dream. And Martin Luther King, he pens it this way, that one of the greatest gospel singers tells one of the greatest Baptist preachers, stop reading the thing. Tell them about the dream. Tell them about what God put in you. And all of a sudden, Martin Luther King takes that script and pushes it to the side, and he grabs onto that podium, and he looks at the person next to him. He says, these people here, they don't know it, but they're about to go to church. And he looks out at the crowd of 250,000 people, and he says, I have a dream. I have a dream when my four little children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And he goes on with this, nothing's on the page. In fact, I have a dream. We call it the I have a dream speech. It's not even in the speech. All of that goes aside because he, listen, Martin Luther King stopped sharing an idea. He started sharing a dream. Does that make sense? He shared a dream. The dream's not an idea. It's something hardwired into him. And the moment he started to share, and Mahalia Jackson saw, you're just sharing an idea. Martin, share the dream. Tell him about the dream. See, she heard the dream before. She believes in the dream. And he needs to communicate the dream. As soon as he started communicating the dream, we remember it today from I have a dream. I have a dream. I believe we have another slide up there of when he actually switched to I have a dream. Yeah, I have a dream that my four little children, he didn't need to read any script for that. That was hard. That's something God put in him. There's something in societies that are wrong, some things that it could be or it should be. God, would you show me what it is? How many of you know that God is not partial? Then why are we on earth? On earth as it is in heaven, right? Well, God's not partial, but we are down here. Hmm, that sounds like a download from heaven on a dream. See, this is when you start to partner with God, whether it's a sense of justice, whether it's a sense of wrong. I look at, personally, one thing that drives me, I look at a lot of our young kids today are being dismantled in school. And I can't elaborate it here in the service, but if you want to look up some of the stuff that kids are being told at the youngest age of five years old, you'd go, that can't be true. Yeah, it's 100% true. But you and I have no control of it. And what is God? Is God smiling on it? Is God going, oh, it's awesome. I love, I love the five-year-old curriculum going on in public schools. God's like, are you kidding me? Where is your stewardship of a generation? What, where is your stewardship of a generation? What are we doing? Well, I don't know. I'll just, I'm busy with my other stuff. Past the remote. I'm binging on Netflix over here. I don't know what. No, God's like, does your heart break for what breaks mine? There are things in life, God, guys, in your sector of, of life. There are things that breaks God's heart. There are things that can be inspiration that God sees and says, I wish they would see what I could show them because this would be beautiful. And other things, it's, uh, you know, God saying... <laughs> They ought to see that because I'm not happy with that. And when we identify with distinct calling and we step into these things, this is when, guys, we stop living life and we start living a dream. Amen? And God's calling us to live a dream, to live a dream. A God-given dream is so much more than a good idea. It's living for purpose. It's God using you in a distinction for what he made you for. It's the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. It's the ordained days that he has for you. And too many believers, too many believers are just living life instead of living a dream. And, and the last thing I want to say is, is verse 6. In fact, at the uh, point 6, if the worship team would come up, this would be great. Um, when God does give you a dream, guys, he calls you out of the ordinary. 
Because the ordinary life, it's going to be very hard to pursue the dream God gives you if everything stays ordinary. Um, it's going to take some shift. It's going to take some change. It's going to take a focus on priorities. We're going to talk more about plans in the coming weeks as we talk about vision and plans and distinction and dreams and calling on your life as we step into this decade with intention and purpose. We're going to elaborate more on that. But listen, if, if God has given you a dream, you will have to step out of the ordinary. Um, life can't go on as usual. You can't just allocate your time the way you used to. You can't put your priorities the way they used to. You're going to have to shuffle the deck a little bit. Uh, and every person you read in history where God called them into greatness of some level of distinction, uh, some level of purpose, some level of intentionality, some level of living this God-given dream, uh, they weren't just living their life in a passive way. They were taking hold. Listen, they were taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of them. And that's my prayer for all of us in the room, that each one of us would say, God, I don't know what it is, but I'm open to it. And if you show me I will restructure some things. I also, God, want to take hold of that for which you took hold of me. And it could be a variety of things. It could be a variety of things. Tim Tebow was the greatest quarterback in college the years he was playing, and he won the Heisman Trophy, uh, and the guy was phenomenal, running, for, you know, running so many yards, rushing, and Florida Gators took him to championships and all this other stuff. But he would make sure one thing is, God, if you gave me football, I'll give you glory in football. Um, some of you know the story of Chariots of Fire. If you haven't seen the movie, see the movie, Chariots of Fire. Classic. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how gifted I am. All I do is run. <laughs> That's all I do is I run. All I know is God made me fast. And the guy in Chariots of Fire goes, you know, I don't really know what the dream is. I don't know. I thought I was going to be a missionary or something. All I know is God made me fast. And all I know is when I run, I kind of feel it makes God smile. So you know what I'll do? If that's the best revelation I got, I'm going to run for the glory of God. I'm going to run for the, I'm going to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. He made me fast for a reason, so I'm going to run for his glory. And Chariots of Fire is built on that premise right there. And you'll see how God gets the glory through somebody who just, they just run fast. And they get the glory. And, and no matter what God graced you with or gifted you with or endowed you with or exposed you to or gave you insight to or experience in, I trust all these things God wants to work together for the good. And this is where the, bit, the journey gets exciting. So let's, let's just close in prayer right now. Ask God to seal some of these. Would you stand with me this morning? This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.